0: No, I'm not going to say that. When we're live, I won't say that. Okay, we're live. Good, good, good. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. We're in uh, Psalm 119, verse
1: 65. And it is teth, and I have no idea what it stands for. Mud. Mud. Okay. Good. Uh, do good to your servant According to your word O Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment For I believe in your commands Before I was afflicted I went astray But now I obey your word You are good and what you do is good Teach me your decrees Though the arrogant have smeared me with lie I keep your precepts with all my heart Their hearts are callous and unfeeling But I delight in your law it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and
0: gold. Wow, great stuff. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come here today and meet in your presence and to share in your word and oh, to just rejoice in you. Everything is right in the world because you've so ordained it. And uh, from the rising of the sun into its setting, you are to be praised. Glorious God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus our Lord and Savior and for what he's done for us and we thank you for the gift of your precious word. We want to give you the glory and the honor that you're due. And we want you to be exalted. And we thank you for the chance to open this word and we ask that we handle it properly and uh, carefully and that we don't deviate from sound doctrine which you have given us through the hand of your prophets and apostles. And we thank you for it and we love you and we cherish it and we cherish you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're... Uh, We're uh, supposed to be having a guest speaker today, and he could not make it. Something came up, and uh, there was a a problem, and so he is not going to be here, Usama. And I want to apologize to anybody that was going to watch online waiting for him. Instead, if you do stay, you'll get to see a bearded face instead of a nice shiny one. And um, uh, we apologize about that. Uh, We're in the Book of Romans if you want to stay, and uh, we've been going through it uh, for a little while now I think uh, When did we start Romans? Anybody remember? A couple months ago It's been a few months And we're already up to Chapter 2 verse 29 So we're breezing right through it
1: 29 or
0: 22? 29 29 And um, so anyway We'll get started to that In just a second As soon as I get turned To the proper page And again I'll say this a couple times For anybody that walks in Or maybe that turns on The uh, the uh, streaming A little bit late That uh, you know I, I apologize It's nothing that we could control It was totally beyond our control, but uh, we do uh, regret that Usama isn't here to speak to us. So uh, this last verse of Romans, that's what happened last week, because we only had like 15 minutes left, and there was no way we could have gotten through it.
1: Should I do the preceding
0: sentence? uh, Yeah, why don't you just start reading from verse 25 and all the way through the end of the chapter, and then we'll just start with verse 29.
1: Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised, keep, <coughs> excuse me, keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will <laughs> condemn you, who, even though you have a written code of circumcision, are the Lord law, lawbreaker. Okay. Mm-hmm. A man is not a Jew if he is only is only one outwardly nor is circumcision merely outward and physical no a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit not by the written code such a man's praise not from men but from God
0: okay before I get into analyzing that verse such as uh, praises from men not from God I got an email a few minutes ago. I, I can't remember. I sent it, somebody an email to confirm my email address with them so that they could correspond with me, and I don't remember why. But anyway, he came back and he said, asked a couple questions. He said, are you a reverend? And uh, then he uh, said, um, do you hold to, and I'm going to misquote what he said, but basically he said, do you hold to the authority of Moses or the authority of Paul? And that's all he asked. And so I responded I'll tell you the first half And I'll ask you about the second half I, he, uh, uh, I, I said I don't go by titles I'm not into that I said I was ordained as a minister of the gospel In a Baptist church But uh, you know I, I preached the word And uh, now, how should I have responded On the second half of that question Neither Do I? Exactly Thank you The first person got that Neither Hi, right, how you doing there oh, Pat? I'd
1: say neither
0: well, neither, but yeah, he said neither, I say neither It's either or either, I don't know which But um, this is correct Is that uh, I, I don't hold to either of those doctrines I hold to the doctrine of grace found in Jesus Christ Which Paul describes I hold the Pauline doctrine of that But that's as far as it goes, okay I, Paul is an instrument of Christ And he wrote about the ending of the law About what Christ has done, the grace of Christ, okay So we uh, we um, you know we don't want to hold people out of a proper uh, esteem or in a proper improper esteem. I guess is probably the best way to say that. People say I'm a Calvinist. That's a terrible mistake to make because John Calvin did not die for our sins. John Calvin made commentaries on the Bible, but he has many many errors. Uh, He has got great systematic theological errors. And that's just the way it is. R.C. Sproul does too. When you know somebody can say I'm a, uh, I'm a Baptist or I'm a uh, we, we can divide Christ all day long, but Christ is the one that did the work. The law is fulfilled in Christ. I don't hold to the law of Moses because it's gone, it's done in Christ. So that's what Paul is writing about right here. It was just kind of to me ironic that uh, um, uh, he would ask me that question. It, it, it had to have been from watching a particular video or not. And uh, I just uh, I'm kind of astonished That somebody would uh, watch the videos And not know that Because it's pretty clear Anyway, um, uh, I see that you came in with a friend And uh, anyway, Usama will not be here today Yeah, he Yeah, yeah, something happened That is going to keep him from coming So I just wanted you to know that And I'll repeat it if anybody else comes in Because it's something that was beyond our control completely I can uh, see it on
1: your prophecy update.
0: What's that? Yeah, they can go back and watch the Prophecy Update from a couple weeks ago, and that, that will do it. But uh, anyway, um, here we go. We're going to get into an evaluation of verse 29, having said that, because um, Paul is writing the Word of God as he was inspired by the Lord. He's not writing his own thoughts here, unless he says, I am not the Lord, which he does do. But even that has to be inspired because it's in the Bible, right. and the Lord knew that he would write that, and therefore it is inspired. It's just being used in a different sense, Okay. Um, if if that was something, I don't know what, I don't think it was mine okay, anyway, so verse 229 I'll read it again, but he is a Jew I'm going to go back to 28 just so we have the context for he is not a Jew, one who is outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh okay, that is the sign to Israel I mentioned that last week, that is the big sign, that along with the Sabbath were the two things that set them apart as a people and neither of those, according to Paul, have any bearing on our status with Christ I got into something with a, a Sabbatarian today. And it happens continuously. Is that, well, you know, if you're not uh, in, uh, observing the Sabbath, then, you know, you're not in accord with the word of the Lord. The Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. It was assigned to the Jews. It was introduced in uh, Exodus 17. Before that, nobody observed the Sabbath. You can infer it from the terminology and the article that is used in front of the word Sabbath at that time. And so. Or lacking at that time and then used a a little bit later There's no doubt that the Sabbath is a sign to the Jews It is a part of the Ten Commandments All of which are a part of the Law of Moses All fulfilled in Christ We do have to observe certain commandments in the New Testament Because they're repeated in the New Testament But they're all fulfilled We cannot be held The guilt is not imputed to us When we violate any of those precepts Because we are under the grace of Christ Our sin is washed away it is under the blood and so we are deemed by God as sinless that's what it means to be justified before God so having said that um, uh, we'll go on to verse 29 but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God now I'm going to read my comments and I've got some thoughts and maybe they're already in my comments so we'll just wait on that In our evaluation of verse 28, um, the question was asked, is a person a Jew if they are circumcised in the heart but not of the line of Israel? And remember I gave you that example from R.C. Sproul. He says, here we are. We're the Jews. That's a complete category error. He is not a Jew. He will never be a Jew. He is a Gentile. So the answer is no. This will be explored in detail in the chapters ahead as well as in all of the other epistles. However, One could come to the conclusion if they were to take verses such as verse twenty-nine out of context. Paul says that he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Does this in any way? Here, it's a it's a question for you. Does this in any way imply that Gentiles are included in this statement? I ask it again. It says uh, Paul says he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Does that imply that Gentiles are included? No. Not in any way, shape, or form. He's not speaking about. Gentiles. If he was, he'd say Gentiles. I can he doesn't. See where, he says
1: what the passages leading up to that. That's right. Might get you to think.
0: It might get you to think. That you you to think. That's that's yeah, exactly right, right. right. And this is the problem with replacement theologians. They say we're circumcised of the heart, therefore we are Jews. That's a complete category mistake. A Jew who is circumcised in the heart is a true Jew. A Jew that is not circumcised in the heart is a Jew by heritage only. Okay, he is not a Jew in the sense of being a Old Testament and New, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy and in the book of Jeremiah, circumcise your hearts. Okay? They say it. It was Old Testament. Paul is just building on it in the New. All right. So, um, the answer again is no. It simply means that a person born of the line of Israel who only outwardly reflects his nature is not counted as a true Jew. He must have an inward reflection as well. Think of Tel Aviv. Gay Pride Parade. They're all Jewish people over there, right? They're all Jews according to the flesh. Are they true Jews? No, because they have not come to Christ. They are not circumcised in the heart, and so they are of the stock of Israel, but they are not counted as true Jews in the sense that Paul is uh, speaking of in this context. Okay? Spiritual. The what? Spiritual. Spiritual. Jews. That's right. And now, he's Jews, s-
1: when they hold that beam, what do call... Uh-
0: Ooh. No, that, that would be the greatest defense to them For me to tell, you, go over to Chabad down the road And say, you guys aren't true Jews they go absolutely crazy They'd go nuts Now, in Israel, there are what we would call You know, most people would not call them Christians Jews for Jesus will often call themselves Christians But other than that, most Jews call themselves If they believe in Jesus Messianic, Messianic Jews Because they don't want to have the title of Christian Assigned to them because it's suddenly a wall Between them and the, the Jews they're trying to evangelize so they call themselves Messianic Jews. And in that capacity, they are true Jews. They are both Jews of the flesh, and they are Jews in the spirit, praising God rightly. Okay? So um, uh, it, it, it's, I said it during the Prophecy Update last week. I'll say it again. It is so marvelous to sit and listen to their... Did you listen to any of I it? Did. I, did did like it? Of, I did. I Did you like
1: it? I did. The problem is, is that uh, none of them are on YouTube. Uh yeah, like Apple Music. Apple
0: but, Music. Yeah, no, it's like, just off YouTube. So you have right, to strip it off. You have to use something like um, right. uh, or, Audacity or, or something. Or send away for
1: their season. Or send away if they sell we the, well, it.
0: Well, that's right. But as long as you're using it in a church and not for public gain, that's fair use. Anyway, so just so you know that. But right. um, uh, the uh, it, it, isn't it nice to listen to that? Very nice. Hearing they, they Christ actually praised and proclaimed in the uh, language. original language, the Hebrew language. It's marvelous. I tell you, I listen to it, and just, it's so uplifting. But I don't want to take that to too far of an extreme and then suddenly, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to start taking on other attributes which don't belong to me. I'm a Gentile, you know, I, I, I could just assume listen to it. And I did. I used to listen to it in Korean when I attended a Korean church. Then I'd break down and cry at watching the Koreans sing and praising Jesus in their language. It's just wonderful to hear Christ proclaimed outside of the little box that we get get ourselves in. You know, I'm a fundamental Baptist uh, minister, and I have to have a war- warbler organ. Oh, I was in that church for three years down the road where they played the warbler organ. And, oh, the ladies loved it. Oh, and I was thinking, this is the worst. This is almost as bad as rap. But everybody's got their thing. But you get yourself into a box, and you think, this is true worship. Now, we worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. And he doesn't care what language or you know, the Koreans, when they worship, you know how they do it sometimes? They do it with these beautiful dances. They put on their robes, the women, and they dance with their, their hands and their feet. And it, it's marvelous. Every step they make is making a picture. Wow. It's wonderful to see. Anyway, they do all this kind of stuff with their hands. It means I'm praising you. And then the, yeah, whatever. It was, just, it was great. Anyway, so um, uh, warble organs. I'm off on that. Okay. Um, next, uh, Paul says um, that circumcision is of the heart in the spirit not in the letter. What's he talking about there? Old Testament. The Old Testament, the letter. That's right. It's not in the letter. It's in the Spirit. I don't understand how people can come to Paul and reject him, because if you reject Paul, you're rejecting Christ's revelation of himself, the grace, and you end up back. And it's so obvious that he's saying we're not in the letter, the letter of the law, which Christ speaks about. We're in the Spirit, okay? The letter is there to lead us to Christ, Who gives the Spirit? it's It's hard to understand. Anyway, what this means is that having the sign of circumcision in the flesh, but not having the heart for what this means to God, is of no value at all. Circumcision in the Spirit means that the Jew, speaking about the Jewish person, not me who claims to be a Jew, the Jew, is internally convicted of his state and doesn't live only by the letter. This term, not in the letter, is speaking of living by the precepts, as you just noted, of the law without caring about the intent behind those precepts. Paul speaks of the Spirit and the letter in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So let me read you what he says there. 2 Corinthians 3, verse, oops, I went too far. 3, 1 through 6. He says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you. And what does he say? You, you are our epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, meaning the Ten Commandments and all that that embodies. The Ten Commandments were on the stone, but the entire law of Moses is summed up in that. He's saying the law of Moses, not on stone, okay? it's That is the summation or the the you know the picture of the entire law, okay, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart, and we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we think, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Once again, that guy emails me. Do you hold to Mo- Moses or do you hold to Paul? I don't hold to either. It's not of Paul. It's of Christ, okay? I do hold the Pauline doctrine, but we'll leave it at that. Um, and it says, uh, who is, uh, um, yes, verse 6 who also made us sufficient as ministers, speaking of himself and the other apostles, of the new covenant, not of the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Okay, what's he talking about when he says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life? The law
1: is dead. Yeah. So it no condemns one us to it death. condemns
0: us to death and he's, he's actually making a, a, a statement about an object lesson that is found in the pages of the Bible anybody know what that object lesson was? I know you do you're just not remembering because it's been a while since we did that sermon when the law was received shortly afterward Moses came down from the mountain and he took the, the tablets and he broke them right and then what did he say what was the next thing he told him to do anybody for me the Lord come to side. me, right? And what did they do after that? Put your sword on your side, gird yourself, and kill. And how many people fell that day? 3,000. 3,000 died, okay? And then what happened at the giving of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem? How many people were converted that first day? 3,000. 3,000. It's an object lesson the Lord was giving us. 3,000 were killed by the law. 3,000 are saved by Christ, okay? Couldn't be any clearer. Reintroducing the law brings death. That's all it brings. It means that that is insufficient. You have to work your way to heaven. It is an infinite climb. We're finite and we can never get there.
1: Yes? As to the Old Testament, so I hear what you're saying, but as to the letter, if we were in the Old Testament economy, we would be under the law.
0: That's right. If we were in the We'd Old Testament be, economy. No, that's correct. But way, very but it, it, what does that lead to? He's asking. I want to make sure they hear this here. That if you were in the Old Testament, you have to live by the letter. And they said you're not under the spirit, but you're under the letter. That's true to an extent. But people will say that the Old Testament was grace plus Nothing. works. That's what they would say. No, I'm saying that's what people will say. You're right, then. Mm-hmm. Nobody could fulfill the law. Paul says that, right? And also the Old Testament shows it. That's why they went through 1,500 years of the law was to show us that nobody could make it. Nobody could make it, and so he gave them grace, the Day of Atonement. It was always by grace. It was never one moment in human history that you were saved by works. Not one. You were always saved by grace and through faith. If you couldn't meet the law on any given day, which nobody could, and they needed grace, and so you're saved by grace and by grace alone. The law never saved anybody; works of the law can never save anybody, and you are under grace always. Their grace was in anticipation of Christ to come; our grace is in the fulfilled work of Christ. But either way, it is grace, 100. Reinserting the law is what Paul speaks most against in the book of Galatians. Yeah, that so if many you people
1: want to get back in, they
0: want to get back in, and it is an infection in our society. It is an infection in the world which is only growing. Two things are happening in this world right now. Churches are either falling away, or they are going further back into the law. Legalism, that little Baptist church I was at down the road was very legalistic. They would take parts of the law like many, many churches would do, and they'd say, this applies, but this doesn't. This applies, but this doesn't. The law is done. I'm going to give you the example which I give. Every single time I bring up the law, what is it? Every time. You brought it up before class today.
1: If you keep the whole
0: law? No, yeah. no, 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 no. Uh, Burke said something that I should have my, my January sermons. Oh, tithing. <laughs>
1: tithing. Tithing
0: is an Old Testament precept. We
1: talked about that last Saturday. That's
0: right. It is an Old Testament precept. There is, tithing is out. It is completely out. Giving, according to Paul, is uh, um, uh, what is it? Uh, give as you have been blessed. And then in chapter 6 of uh, Galatians, he says, give something to your preacher, you know, kind of uh, to make sure that he who teaches you should be whatever. And anyway, it's Galatians 6.16, and I don't want to misquote it too badly. That is it. But now I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to stop right here, and I'm going to ask, if you already have heard me talk on tithing, because this is all relevant to the law, um, uh, don't say anything. If you have not heard me talk on tithing, can you tell me? Somebody that's never heard me speak on tithing Tell me what the Old Testament required for tithing Anybody? If you haven't heard me speak on tithing What did tithing mandate in the Old Testament?
1: Well, it began with a 10th, but it went on up <laughs>
0: Okay, so a 10th what? Explain it the, uh, the first roots of everything So you're out. supposed to give 10%? Is that it? No Okay What are you supposed to do with the tithe? That's what I'm asking you It
1: was given to the... the
0: on yourself. Okay. No, no. I asked you not <laughs> to say anything. Okay. So obviously you don't know this. And here, here's what you were to do with your tithing. I'm going to go with this because it's so important. It is. Because when people, people when people so preach tithing, they one turn people off, as she yeah. just said, and they never tell the truth about what the Bible actually said about tithing in the Old Testament. So we're going to divert for a minute before we get back into Romans chapter two. I'm going to read you. This is Deuteronomy 14. This is the explanation of the tithe. It starts in verse 22. Okay? In Deuteronomy 14, verse 22, oh, I'm in the wrong book here. Um, It says, and this is something every person should always remember concerning tithing. They should always remember this. If you are going to mandate tithing, you must mandate it according to the Old Testament. I didn't write these words, they came from Moses by inspiration of the Lord. Here's what it says Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. I got to get back to chapter 14 again. Um, okay, 22 says, "You shall truly tithe." Tithe means a tenth. Okay, you shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. This was an agrarian society. They had grain, which was what they used as their economy. Okay, and you shall eat the tithe. Everybody got that? You shall eat the tithe in the place where he chooses to make his name abide the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. You eat your tithe. Now we'll go on. But if the journey is too long for you, and he says at the place where the Lord uh, mandates. Where did the Lord tell the people to gather? Finally, Jerusalem. That's right. It eventually was Jerusalem. If the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, you got just so much, the Lord has blessed you so much, He says, um, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far for you, oh, it's too far when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall take the tithe, exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses you, which is Jerusalem. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires. Okay? In the King James Version, it says, whatever your soul lusteth after. Ooh, I like that. My soul lusteth after that. I'm going to go spend it, okay? For whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates. so you take something and you make sure that he has something. Why? For he has no part nor inheritance with you. They did not have their own fields to till and to make their own, so they were dependent on the people. The Levites did get the skins of all sacrificed animals, though. The the ministering priests did. So that was something that helped them as well. But here's what it says now. Verse 28 explains what you're to do with your tithe. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates and the Levite because he has no portion nor inheritance with you. And the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hand which you do. Every third year, if every Christian in America gave one-tenth every third year, the churches would be overflowing and we wouldn't need prosperity gospel preachers out there saying, Send in your tithe, so that the windows of heaven will open up above you. Okay? They were once every third year to give away their, their tithe. Now, is that confirmed anywhere else in the Old Testament? because it may be wrong. I may have read something that was wrong. Deuteronomy 26, verse 12 says, let me see here, 27, 26, verse 12. When you have finished laying aside all the tithes of the increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say, I have removed the holy tithe um, before the Lord your God. I have removed the holy tithe from my house and also given them to Levite, etc., etc. You eat your tithe two years. The third year you give your tithe away. You know, that could be wrong. It could be. So there there might be one more place in the Bible where it's actually confirmed. And that's in Amos 4, verse 4. Um, It says there, come to Bethel and transgress. Now, your translation in Amos 4, 4 may be incorrect. And I will explain this when I get down there. At Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, something that they were required to do under the law. Every morning they had to bring their sacrifice, and every afternoon uh, between the evenings they would bring their sacrifice. New moons, they would have certain things. Bring your sacrifice every morning, your tithes every three, and it says here days. That's an incorrect translation. The word yamim in this, the context demands years, because it's referring to Deuteronomy 26.12. So it's footnoted here. It says, four years, compare Deuteronomy fourteen twenty-eight. Okay, so we have three times in the Old Testament that the Jews were fully aware, something that Christians that have the full counsel of God are not aware of. One, that the law is set aside in Christ. We're not under law, we're under grace. Two, tithing is an Old Testament precept. It is done in Christ. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 8, and Hebrews chapter 10. It is annulled, it is obsolete, and it is set aside. Uh, Colossians 2, 14, it is nailed to... The cross. Thank you. So people don't want to hear. Paul take them to Hebrews, okay? Because that explains the Old Testament system, and it grace is there as well as Paul's writings. Um, anyway, having said that, now you understand the importance of proper doctrine. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit, not the letter. The letter tithing or or you know wearing clothes of two types of materials. How many people that say you have to do this or you have to do that under the law wear two types of material in their clothing, all of them, everybody I don't know anybody, you know, unless they're really a a Hasidic Jew that wears only these heavy wool things and sweats in the summer, I don't know anybody that does that we all have polyester and we've got hey, that's forbidden under the law there's all kinds of things in the law that are forbidden that people do every single day without realizing it, but oh, you've got to do this and you've got to do that in order to merit Christ's favor hey, I've already merited it He did it for me. Okay, Um, here we go. Um, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6. Uh, The letter is the law which actually condemns all people because they can never meet the demands of the law. We talked about that a moment ago, Dale. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit who gives the inner testimony of God in which frees one from the condemnation of the law. This isn't just a New Testament concept. David, who failed to meet the demands of the law, demonstrated his understanding of the letter versus the Spirit in Psalm 51, verse 11. He says this. um, Hold on here, Psalm 51, verse 11. He said, um, 52, 51. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. He doesn't say, restore to me your salvation. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Okay? David knew that without the spirit, there was only separation from God's presence. It's good to note that since Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, a believer cannot lose the Holy Spirit. I know people will disagree with that. If I'll tell you what I say from time to time. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says that when you believe, let me read it and then I'll give you my analysis of it. Ephesians 1:13 and 14, you can't hear this too many times. In the world we live in, you cannot hear this too many times. Ephesians 1:13 and 14, in him, Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, I, I accept the word, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Holy Spirit of promise. 14, who is the guarantee, the Etervone of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. A few things about that. If you were given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee and the Holy Spirit is taken away because you've done something wrong, it wasn't a very good guarantee. Okay? Secondly, Well, that makes God um, not the guarantor of guarantees. He's just the semi-guaranteer of guarantees as long as you do everything else you're supposed to do. But secondly, it means that God erred in giving you the Holy Spirit at the beginning. God cannot err. God does not make mistakes. I don't care what a person does. He can never lose his salvation, but he can lose his joy. He can lose his life. He can lose his liver. He can lose his whatever, you know. I, you can lose a lot of things, but you're not going to lose your salvation, okay? So, um, let's see here. Um, uh, oh, we've got to get back to our comments here. David, and then we get down. David knew that without the Spirit, there was only separation from God's presence. It's good to note that cr- since Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, a believer cannot lose the Holy Spirit. Guarantee, the word is Erevon. The only other time it's used in the, uh, that's used three times in the New Testament by Paul the only other time it's used is in the Hebrew. The exact same word transliterated from the Hebrew into the Greek which is almost unheard of in the Bible. It's a very rare thing. It's used three times in the Old Testament in Genesis 38, the account of Tamar and Judah when she got the guarantee from him which was his signet, his cord and his staff. And it was a picture of the sealing of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It is a, a sure guarantee. And what did he declare when he got those back from her? She is more righteous than I why? Because she was more righteous than him, and we are more righteous than any Jew who has observed every jot and tittle of the law outwardly because he hasn't done it inwardly, where we, is, we have had faith in what Christ did, and we are given that arrow, and it can never be taken away. It is our possession until the um, purchased redemption, which is pictured in Genesis 38. Okay, So, um, let's see here. Um, having discerned these things... The same question needs to be asked for the second portion of today's verse. Paul says that circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. Does this in any way imply that Gentiles are included in that statement? Again, the answer is no. Okay, let me turn my page here. We're almost halfway through this verse. No, just because a Gentile may be circumcised in the heart and have the spirit in in no way implies that they are Jews, okay? To understand this, let's use the concept of being a patriot, okay? I've got a couple people in here that were served in the military. At least two of them. I'm one of them, and I know another one back there. And Okay, so we'll, we'll say that there's a couple patriots in here. We could say being a patriot is an inward allegiance to the nation and not merely being a citizen of the United States, okay? Because we have people that are in the United States that are not patriots, Okay, but if you are uh, uh, an inward allegiance to your country and you say, I'm going to serve, I'm going to do what the country asks of me, I'm going to be obedient to its laws, etc., you're a patriot. All right? There are many people who are citizens of the United States, but not all of them have an inward allegiance to the nation. In fact, many citizens have great animosity towards their country, as we've seen for the past week. I mean, violent animosity against it. They are not patriots. Therefore, being a patriot, like being a Jew, is not based on externals; it's based on internals. Okay, that's why I hated when I worked for the embassy in Malaysia. I couldn't stand it because they used the term expat, the expat community. You've heard that before. What does that mean? No Expatriate. That's right. And they just they, they arbitrarily use these terms, and it sounds cool. I'm an expat. I was a patriot. I was serving my country in the uniform of my country. Actually, in that country, I couldn't wear my uniform because I would have gotten. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. But I I, I was serving the country as a patriot. And they said, well, they use it as if being out of the country means that you're not holding allegiance to your country. That's the furthest thing from the truth. And it should be the furthest thing from the truth, especially for the State Department, who is representing that nation actively as ambassadors. Paul never said, I'm an expat of Jesus Christ when I'm outside of Israel. Right? He never said it at any point. He always said, I'm an ambassador for Christ. He held to his, his lineage as a, a Jew. He was an observant Jew. He talks about that when he's addressing the kings and all of these people that he talked to. He never said, I'm an ex Jew. He never said, I'm an ex ambassador. He always proclaimed the title because it was it was in here, not external. And so I really, really despised hearing that term. And anytime they'd say it, and they'd say it sometimes 50 times during a meal, I'd say, but I'm a patriot. I would remind them of that, because I couldn't stand being lumped in with these people that thought it was cool to be an expat when they're serving the country. That, and That's something about being a diplomat, is when you are a diplomat, when you are in a, another nation, the American embassy is not Malaysian property. That's right. that it, it is not considered a part of that country. It is the United States of America in a very small form. No person can enter that without the proper credentials. And no person can do anything to a representative of that embassy. They are U.S. people living in America. And when you had your passport with you, which we carried everywhere we went, and I had a black diplomatic passport, wherever I was, I was the United States of America. Always, every single step that I took, nobody could do anything to me. They couldn't arrest me. They couldn't ask me any questions at all. If I showed them that, they had to completely stand down. They could have me removed by their government going through the proper channels, but they could do nothing to me. If I ran over somebody on the street, they'd have to say, we're going to let the you know, the two people decide the big wigs, and then they're going to know what to do with you. They could do nothing to me. I was a patriot, and I despise that term. And this is what Paul is saying about the Jews and about the Christians in the world. We are ambassadors of Christ, and we will always be that way. We're not ex-ambassadors when we go to you know, a football game. We're ambassadors of Christ. So this is an important issue that he's saying, and it doesn't just bear on Jews and Gentiles. It bears on who we are as representatives of Jesus in our life at all times, always. Today I had lunch with my friends from Iowa here. We went out together, and I don't care what anybody else thought around us. We stopped, and we held our hands, and we said our grace over over the food. We're representing Christ. I don't need to be told by anybody else, listen, we don't want to hear you do that here. They'd get an earful from me, I'll tell you that. Has never happened at, at uh, lunch, has it, at IHOP, but one of these days it's going to, and they're going to find out a side of me that they, these guys, they're going to see something of me that they, they don't like because I will not take that from people. I have a right to pray. As a matter of fact, what do we do? We, get the, we wait till the servers bring the food, and we pray with them too. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure somebody's going to complain about one of those servers one of these days, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be all over them. Anyway, we'll go on. I, we are representatives of Christ, okay? That's what I'm getting at. Okay, so we've used the example of the uh, Patriot. Now let's consider those who have great allegiance to the United States, but are not citizens. <coughs> okay? I know lots of people that have great allegiance to the United States of America. I know two of them that are probably watching right now, from uh, one of them's in bed, and I won't give you any more information, but we need to keep them in prayer. Okay? They have great allegiance to this country, but they are not citizens. Okay? Um, are they Patriots? Patri- no, patriots of
1: the United States. No.
0: They are patriots no. they have a patriotic attitude towards the United mm-hmm. States, but they are not patriots of the United right, States. Right, right. And the point right. I'm making is that a Jew that doesn't live as a Jew isn't a patriot or a Jew. But a person who, like R. C. Sproul, maybe has all of the the love of what Christ did, but isn't a Jew, does that make him a Jew? No, the answer no. is no. And so it's the same with Christians, okay? It's the same with citizens. We'll go on. Because they are not citizens. My good friends that are watching right now, they are not considered patriots. There were many foreigners who came to the aid of the patriots during the Revolutionary War, right? The French came. Were they patriots? They were patriots in the sense of helping us, but not in the sense of citizenship, okay? They went back to their country, and they settled back in their country, okay? They believed in the cause of war and who even died in support of America, and yet they were not considered patriots, Likewise, Gentiles are not Jews simply because they bear circumcision of the heart and have the spirit, R.C. Sproul. Okay? Doctor of theology means nothing if you're wrong. Okay? It means nothing. He's wrong on this issue. He's right on many issues, and I love to learn from the guy, but always make sure that you don't elevate somebody in your thinking because of a title or a position or because they've written a certain commentary. Okay? And that goes with me. Don't trust me. Go home and think about the things that we're looking at. This is an immensely important issue because if one believes he is a Jew when he isn't, then this theology is garbled and confused. This confusion comes from misapplying verses such as today's and other verses such as Galatians 3.28 which says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. How does that square with what I just told you? I'm going to tell you, Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek, which leads people to say that we're all the same as in, as Christians. Now we're all the Jews, okay? But this is entirely wrong, and it is verib- verifiable by the same verse that Paul says there is also neither male nor female. Let me ask you, can anybody here not distinguish a male from a female in this in this room? I guarantee you, I can tell every single female. In in, in the world, we might not do, but in this room, I guarantee you I know every female and every male. Okay? Right? He says, um, Where was I? Um, um. However, it's obvious that there are still males and there are still females. Nothing has changed. The very fact that Paul states Jew and Gentile implies that there is, in fact, a difference, just as stating male and female implies that there is a difference. Paul is speaking in a spiritual context, a positional context. We are all one in Christ, not that we are distinctive entities in Christ. I will always be a male in Christ until whatever the Lord has prepared for us later. You will always be a female in Christ. Even if you go and get surgery, it's not going to change who you really are, right? Everybody here understand we are what we are. If I am a Jew in Christ, I'm always going to be a Jew in Christ. Positionally, I'm on the same level as a Gentile in Christ. But I will always be a Gentile in Christ. Okay? Nothing will change that. Alright. Um, finally, in verse 29, Paul says whose praise is not from men, but from God. The term Jew, this is wonderful. He's making a pun here. Did ever, ever, anybody gotten this pun? Whose praise is not from men, but from God? He's making a pun about his own people. Um, he says the term Jew comes from the name Judah, which means Praise. Okay? So, therefore, Paul is making a pun on the term. He is saying that being a Jew is not something that comes from man, meaning ancestry, but it comes from God. In other words, not all Jews are truly Jews. Only those who live by God's spirit are the true Jews. Again, as has been noted twice already, this in no way implies that a Gentile who has received God's spirit is now a Jew. It only negates those of the line of Israel who don't qualify. Just like if you use the same thing with male and female. It doesn't mean that a male is now a female in Christ or vice versa. It just means that those who it doesn't apply to are excluded. Jews that are not Jews because they don't have the Spirit of God does not mean that Gentiles are Jews because they do have the Spirit of God. Everybody got that? Okay. Life application, and then we can get into chapter 3. This is great. Um, Don't claim to be something you're not. If you are in Christ, then names and titles mean far less than knowing that you are a child of the king. Okay? Verse
1: 3-1. What advantage, then, is there
0: in being a Jew, or what value is there in circumcision? Okay, good question. Is it, read the next verse. Well, I can't because my comment only goes with this verse, and I type these one at a time every morning of my life. I'm not going ahead. Okay. The obvious question which arises from Paul's words in the previous verses is... If all of this is true, then what advantage is it of the Jew? If the Jew has the law and no one is able to fully meet the law, thus making their circumcision as uncircumcision, then what is the profit of circumcision? Valid question. This thinking is similar to several questions asked in Ecclesiastes, such as Ecclesiastes 6, verse 8, where he asks this question, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes... Six. Just read the Song of Solomon yesterday. What a great book. 6 verse 8 says, um, For what more has the wise man than the fool? What does the poor man have who knows how to walk before the living? I'll go into verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Okay? Ecclesiastes 6 eight. If the wise man ends up in the same box six feet under the ground that the fool and the poor man go to, then what good is all the wise man's wisdom? Right? What good is it? There must be a reason for being wise beyond our temporary life, or it would be better to live foolishly and carelessly. As Paul will say later, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, let's just go party. If Christ isn't resurrected, if Christ didn't die for our sins, we might as well drink it up we might as well go out and do every vile thing that we want to do because it makes no difference in the world. None. And that's Paul's point. If there's no benefit to being wise, why be wise? Just be a fool. It's easier to be a fool than it is wise, and you get a lot less headaches and you get a lot more sleep. Right? Okay. So the question stands. Um, Likewise, there must be some value in being a Jew beyond the law, or it would be better to not be a Jew at all. I can tell you that's true because look what they've gone through for the past 2,000 years. You know, why would they want to continue to carry a badge on them which only gets them murdered and killed? Why would they want to do that? Why would somebody want to do that? Why would somebody want to wear their uniform into hostile territory knowing that that identifies themselves as a person that needs to be shot as soon as they seen? And yet young people do it all the time. They do it for the sake of something greater than themselves. Okay, Paul will give an immediate answer here in verse 3 2. And then he will treat, which we're going to get to in a minute, which he will treat the situation concerning the Jews in detail in chapters 9 through 11. It's important to note in today's question that it confirms the issue raised and answered in the last verses of the previous chapter. Are those Gentiles who are circumcised in the heart now Jews? If they were, Paul wouldn't even ask the question in verse 3 1, nor would he then answer it. The Bible reveals these truths concerning the state of God's people. One, anyone who is a faithful believer is a spiritual descendant of Abraham. Abraham. Two, Israel comprises those faithful Jews who are obedient sons of Jacob. They are of his physical descent. Three, the church is anyone who is called on Jesus, whether from Israel or outside of Israel. And four, the church did not replace Israel, although we are grafted into their spiritual heritage. That Romans 9 so through 11. Times. What? It's said so many times in the, the
1: Bible. It it grafted it in. grafted in. Grafted in. And right.
0: people can't seem to get it. I don't mm-hmm. understand. But it all goes back, once again, to replacement theology. Mm-hmm. The Jews, there are no Jews. I mean, there's a couple in China, and we got three of them in our village. And, but Israel is barren. There's no trees there. Those promises must belong to somebody. The Bible must be true. Or we're putting our faith in the wrong place. And so they say, must be us. And all of this theology is built on a false mm. premise. They didn't understand that 70 years the first time meant more than 2,000 years the second time. But Israel was only exiled. They were not banished permanently. Okay? 70 years, 2,000 years, it doesn't make any difference. And once again, it says in Leviticus 6, if you don't listen the first time, I will multiply your sins seven times over. Okay? And the example comes from Ezekiel chapter 4. Lie on your side 40 days, on your left side, and that'll be, uh, wait a minute, your left side 390 days, I think, and then on your right side 40 days. Anyway, one is the punishment of Ephraim, one is the punishment of Judah, okay, Israel and Judah, and you combine them together, you come out to 430 years. To take off 70 years from the 430 years, and that leaves you with 390 years times 7, 2,520 years from the original exile. 14 May of 1948, back in the land. 19 years later, because Jerusalem fell 19 years after Israel, right? Jerusalem was recaptured on 7 June of 1967. To the day. To the day. God's word is precise to to the last detail. But people fail to realize that Leviticus chapter 26 is so very precise. It says... If you don't listen the first time, you will be exiled. I'll uh, multiply your sins seven times over. It presupposes what? Two exiles. Mm -hmm. Not one. Replacement theologians got it wrong. They failed to go to the word, and instead they just thought about all the great promises that they have in being spiritual Israel. They didn't go back to the law, which details everything that's coming. So the Jews are back in the land, even though they don't deserve it. God promised to
1: their to their... Defense. It's like, okay, how many generations that's right came and went, and it's still barren Israel? And who is he talking about? I believe, but somebody's got to fill this.
0: Somebody's got to fill that gap. It's understandable to a degree. After the Zionist movement really began, and after 14 April 1948, there's no excuse. Oh, sure. None. There's no excuse. People need to readjust, and they need to say, you know what, I was wrong, but people don't want to because of the sin of. Pride. Pride. Thank you. Pride. So we'll go on. Um, Got the four precepts. Very short um, analysis, life application. God's wisdom is displayed in how he is working out his plan of redemption. Our unfaithfulness, speaking specifically of the Jews, our unfaithfulness in no way negates God's faithfulness. And so we should remember the Jewish people in our daily prayers. My very last prayer, every single day of my life, every day is for Israel. Israel, the people, and Jerusalem, the city. Lord, it's time to to do what you promised. And I, I feel bad even praying that because what he promised is going to be that two-thirds of them are going to die in the process. But he's not coming back until they call on him. Until they do that, he is not coming back. And so uh, where is that from? That's from Matthew. And just in case you don't know that, the Jews are the ones that are going to bring Jesus back. Um, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers its chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I tell you that you shall not see me. Speaking to Jerusalem, you, the seat of power of Israel, shall not see me until you you say, "B'ruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It is Mm -hmm. up to Israel. God already knows when it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen until they, as a nation, by the seat of power in Israel, calls on him and when they do he's coming back to them to rescue them can't wait great stuff we'll be up in heaven watching um so um doesn't uh, they should be in our daily prayers God selected them for his reasons and his greatness is being demonstrated through them therefore our prayers for them will reflect an understanding of this and a desire for him to receive the glory that he is due so when we're praying for Israel we're actually exalting God because we're saying God I have trust that your word is true and that you are faithful to the covenant that you made to these people and when you pray against Israel you're showing an unfaithfulness to God I don't care what any replacement theologian says and the anger and the bitterness that they say to you as a Christian that you're wrong and the Jews are out you are being faithful to God by understanding that he is faithful to his people even when they don't deserve it okay we'll see a portion of that at the end of the book of Jonah and then it's going to drop off And we're going to have to get to another book To actually see that But the whole Old Testament shows it But Jonah will show the ending Of the first portion of it Okay, anyway um, Got time,
1: verse
0: 3-2 Yes, he's got something Psalms
1: 122, I believe it is,
0: 6 Pray for the peace of Israel Sha- Shalom Yerushalayim Pray for the peace of Israel yeah.
1: Yeah. So When you praying for that They're only going to have peace When the Prince of Peace comes back That's
0: right that's right, when you're praying for the peace of Jerusalem You're praying for the return of Christ That's right, yes sir
1: I have a question I know in theory that if a Jew becomes a Christian Just like before the messianic movement right. took place I would feel, just in my own setting Just in comprehending I would be feel much better as a Gentile Worshipping Than I would had I become a Jew Who I would want to come to a church like this Where they lift up the Messiah And see the fulfillment of it but in order to do that, don't you get folded into the Gentiles, become well? It's like the Chinese to say not
0: not specifically. So Jesus
1: will be one less Chinese.
0: Yeah. Well, no, and I know they say that. And they also say in China that if it walks on the ground, if it flies in the sky, or if it swims in the sea, we will eat it. Okay. <laughs> not everything should be eaten. But um, uh, the an the answer is. Thing, the what? But it's an equality thing. It is an equality a, thing, but, but not a cultural it, thing. That's right. It should not be something that makes them lose their Jewness. Some Jews have lost it over the years, and some have married in to Gentiles, not because they're Christian, just because they marry a Gentile, and that Jewness eventually gets lost. Yeah. Okay, But that is not the intent of that. It's just that this is the Gentile-led church age. And God has promised in Romans 9-11 through 11 to always preserve a remnant. remnant of faithful Jews. So even if the Jews that do become Christians throughout the church age get assimilated in and they lose their identity there'll always be new Jews to replace them well always and I'll give there. you an example of that in just a second yes a
1: Jew becomes a Christian rapture boom. well that's right so now your the remnant is very important that that's exactly
0: sense. right well, the remnant is 000, they will be <laughs> they will be Jews and they will be sealed and my guess is this is just speculation because it doesn't say this but how are they if the rapture happens and there's no believing Jews on earth, It either means, one, that they were left behind, which is possible, okay? It is possible, and there's a verse in Leviticus that I'll show you on that one, or it could be that they are there in a family with believers, and they say, oh, I was wrong, and they say, I'm calling out to Jesus, and they are sealed. Either way, there's a verse in Leviticus which will confirm that. And I'll give that to you in a second. But what, what was it I was going to say? Because I was going to say Sorry, something that. Yeah, you messed me up. And um, what You're were we. About folding the Jews in. Folding the, the Jews in, and that there would always be a remnant. And um, uh, anyway, I've lost the thought. So um, that's okay. It'll come back at 3 o'clock this morning. But <laughs> let me go to that verse in Leviticus 23, is it? Let me see here. Um, Uh, I don't think it's in Leviticus 23. I think it's in um, Exodus, where the uh, feasts of the Lord are uh, the... um, uh, Give me a second to find this, okay? Because this is good enough where it it may give a hint of what's coming. It might be in Leviticus 23, and uh, let me see if I can find that very quickly. Um, uh, Sacrifice to the Lord. uh, Oh, yeah, there it is right there, Leviticus 23. Okay. He details the feasts of the Lord. All fulfilled in Christ. We're going to be up to that very soon and when we get there because so many people say well, only half of the feasts are fulfilled and the other half aren't fulfilled. Listen, if they're not fulfilled, the law is not fulfilled and Christ didn't die in fulfillment of the law. They're either all fulfilled or they are not all fulfilled. In one way or another, either he is the fulfillment of law and it's over or we're not worshiping the right Christ. Okay, They're all fulfilled in Christ. But here's what it says in... Um, um, Uh, What is this? And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, which is the day of bickering, first fruits, the picture of Christ coming out of the ground, after the day after Sabbath, from that day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbath shall be counted. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Okay, which is the, it would make it the what day? 49 days plus one is 50. 50. 50. Okay, right. So then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah, right? They shall be fine flour. They shall be baked with (coughs) leaven, with leaven. Can you imagine presenting something to the Lord with leaven in it? Why would that be? Why would you? Sin is is a picture of leaven in the Bible. Why would you present two loaves on the 50th day to the Lord? What is that telling us? Jew, Gentile, accepted before God because of the work of Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is a picture of our redemption, the day of Pentecost, the 50th day, which is documented in Acts chapter 2. Jew and Gentile are now acceptable before God with their sin, because their sin that is covered by Christ, okay? Then it says, um, they are the firstfruits to the Lord. Twice in the New Testament, Paul calls people firstfruits. Guess what? One time he says it of a Jewish congregation, the second time he says it of a Sure. Gentile congregation, Jew and Gentile first fruits to the Lord. It, the Bible is so perfect. Oh, ah, okay. So, and you shall actually speaks of a person in there. I don't think it's a congregation, it's a person. He is the first fruits of Achaya, okay? Or maybe that household of Stephanas. Anyway, Jew and Gentile. Okay. Trust me on that. And you shall offer with the uh, bread seven lambs of the first year with that blemish one, young bull and two rams, they shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with the grain offering and their drink offerings and offering made by fire first sweet aroma. To the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one of the kids of the goats as a sin offering, and two male lambs of the first year in a sacrifice of a peace offering, all detailing our redemption in Christ and what He has done for us. The priest shall wave them um, with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statue forever, forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. Verse 22 suddenly get a new paragraph and it seems completely disconnected to everything else it says when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap nor shall you gather any gleanings from your harvest you shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger I am the Lord your God well if, if Pentecost is a picture of the church age and not everything is reaped and you leave something for the poor what do you think that's telling us? The 144,000 at the end of the age Which are left for those who are left behind Right It's just as bizarre It doesn't seem to fit in anywhere But if you think it through That's what it's showing us It's showing us that God still has a plan Even for the people who are left behind Okay Great God Wonderful Savior Um, Okay so Verse 3-2 Read that again Please
1: Uh, Much in every way First of all They have been entrusted With the very words of God
0: Okay, this one says much in every way chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Yes, the oracles, the utterances of God. All right, verse 3-2. In response to the question of 3-1, which was what advantage has then the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision? Paul answers with an exclamatory note. You can almost hear his voice raising much in every way. In every way, in all respects and from all sides the benefits are evident. The first being chiefly That to them were committed the the oracles of God. Paul's word translated chiefly can be thought of as in principle advantage. That's what he's saying. In principle advantage. They have been given the oracles of God. Above everything else that he could highlight about being a Jew, that's the first thing he brings in. The most important thing that Israel has ever done. Because they screwed up almost everything else. But they maintained the word of God. Mm -hmm. They were given the word of God. They maintained the word of God. They were entrusted with it and they kept it safe. So safe that 2,000 years later, the year before they are re uh, gathered as a group in 1948, they find the oracles of God in a jar outside of the Dead Sea. That was and That was 1947, one year before. It was a sign, I'm going to do something marvelous next year, people. And there they are, the oracles of God. Right there, just confirming the word of God. Oh, boy, my hair is standing up and everything. The chief thing that Israel had done was to faithfully maintain the word of God. Unbelieving Jews, to this day, maintain the word of God, thinking that they're waiting on their Messiah. Guess what, guys? He's come, but they're maintaining the word of God. The Masoretes, you know, the oldest Masoret text is, I think, 1048 or 1300, somewhere right in that area, and how meticulously they maintained that. And Masoret comes from the word for... To count, and they would count, and if they would do a, a copy of, say, the, the Torah scroll, and they counted, and if it was off by one letter, guess what they did with that? Years and years of work gone. They counted everything. They They were meticulous to make sure that the word of God was so faithfully prepared. And then they have rituals, which you know the Bible doesn't say, but they have their own rituals. That if they came to the name of God, which sometimes a chapter might have it four times, they'd stop and wash, and then they'd write out Yod, hey vav hey. So meticulous So careful with the word of God The one thing that is instilled in Israel Above all else Is the word of God And Paul understood that And he says They were given the oracles of God Now some people take that to an unintended extreme Because then they say that no Gentile Has been a part of giving the word of God I wouldn't go that far We know that um, uh, Job may have been written by a Gentile We don't know that for certain It is in Hebrew But he certainly was a Gentile Okay? And then, secondly, despite what people want to argue, and I, I, one of the people that I hold in the highest esteem could not let go of the fact that was a, Luke was a Gentile and not a Jew. Okay? And some people say, well, he was a proselyte. It's never said in the Bible. It's never said that. In fact, what does it say in the book of Colossians about um, Luke? In the book of Colossians, it says, um, right at the end, he says here. Um, Let me find this. Um, Okay, do, 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 do. Well, I'm just going to start at verse 7, and eventually we'll come to it. It says, um, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Let me read that again. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. Those, the people he just listed are the only Jews. Epaphras, who is one of you, um, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently in the prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear with him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Hierapolis. Luke, the physician, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. He's not of the circumcision. Right? It's right there. It's in black and white, and yet people will cling to anything to say that the verse that we're looking at right now in uh romans confirms that luke was somehow a jew when he says elsewhere he's clearly not he's a gentile and these are the right? only of the circumcision colossians. what wow. colossians chapter four at the end he's greeting them all and then that was specifically let me see if i can get that back for you colossians uh, but they'll say well he was this and he was a, i'm sorry he was a jew and even tradition afterward books written about him okay luke, the, he, was luke he was not a jew not he was a greek was physician a Oh, did I say he was? I I didn't mean to do that. I get talking and my brain doesn't work. That was uh, 4.14, but the uh, thing about the circumcision was back up in um, um, 4.11. So 4.11, these are of the circumcision. They're the only, and then Luke is afterward not of the circumcision. So we have at least two books of the Bible confirmed to not be written by Jews. Acts and Luke. Okay, Luke and Acts, actually. Luke comes before Acts. But other than that, it could be that Job wasn't, and... um, Uh, the rest of them are pretty certain written by Jews, maintained by Jews. It doesn't mean because it says that they are the stewards of the oracles of God that the books that weren't books of the Bible yet can't be included as not oracles of God. And it also doesn't mean that Job couldn't have written it, being a Gentile, and then it being maintained by the stewards of the oracles of God. It doesn't negate that. So I don't want to argue that point with anybody. I don't know Job. All I know is that could have been written by Job Or it could have been written by somebody about Job Okay, either way Was Luke,
1: he from over there in Iran territory? Well, Iran.
0: he was from the the, the area of Idam, uh, I believe and uh, Because you have the Buzite, the Temanite and the, um, uh, Buzite, uh, and the Shuhite And those come from the area of Edom uh, One of them specifically And I believe that Job, who was in the land of Uz. I, I've got it written somewhere And I've forgotten So you put me onto a question I can't answer right now And I don't want to give you The wrong information But that brings me to a question Alright Because we brought up The uh, boo site, The shoe height And the uh, temanite Alright uh, Bill The shoe height Okay So uh, Who Is the shortest person In the Bible Nehemiah Nehemiah, Nehemiah. That's not correct That is incorrect because you have Bill Dad the shoe height and he was really small. But even smaller than that, Peter and John were very, very small because they slept on their watch. That is a really small person. That is a really small person. By the way,
1: Charlie, I read I don't know where now, but it's within the last week that all these theologians and searchers, when they get to the the top and find out what's going on. They'll meet the monks. They're already yeah. up
0: there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. What do you hear I can't remember. Was he saying that? What's that? Did you say that on? No, I didn't say yeah. that. But that is right. Oh boy. Anyway, it's good. Good fun. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, did you know that? Um, what's his name? Samson was a great comedian. He right. could really bring down the house. Yeah. All right, we'll go on. I got got all day jokes on the Bible. Wow. Oh, boy. Okay, so let's go on. Let's see here. Um, I don't even remember where I was. Oh, yeah, they were given the oracles of God. That's the chief thing, the principal advantage, okay? Every other aspect of being a Jew or bearing the sign of circumcision is to be found within this concept, that they are the stewards of God's word. If for no other reason than this, and outside of ushering in the Messiah himself, It is the most important and greatest honor that could be bestowed upon a group of people. Imagine that, being the stewards of God's Word. And guess what that means for us? Because we're the stewards of God's Word right now. We are entrusted with that to tell other people because unlike the Jews who had to make copies very, very slowly and in a very limited way, we now have the full counsel of God and we can get it for a dime down at the store, at the used bookstore, right? You can get them for free in a... a, a, uh, a hotel room, mm-hmm. right? And they're not going to care. They're going to be happy you take that book because they'll just put another one in there. But this is God's Word. And we are now the stewards of God's Word because the Jews don't have the New Testament yet. Some do, but most don't. All they have is the Old. And so, you know, but if they stick their nose in the Old and think about it, they'd find Jesus there too. Anyway, um, have you seen that one video talking about that where the Jewish guys, they're Jewish guys in Israel. They're Messianic believers They're believers in Christ And you've seen it They go around And they interview people And they read A passage Of, 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 of Well They're reading something To their people And they're just reading it And they say Where is that? And uh, who wrote that? And who is that about? And they say Oh that's Jesus they, they know it's Jesus And they say Do you know who wrote that? No we have no idea That was written by Isaiah 700 years before he came And their, their faces go blank What? They're, they never hear this In synagogue if they go to synagogue at all. But here, they're reading the words of Isaiah and every person they interview, without fail. Well, that's speaking about Jesus. We know that. He's that heretic. He's that guy that the Christians believe in, right? And then he says, no. That's who we're supposed to believe in. Oh, it's wonderful. Those guys do a great job. Where did you see that, Charlie? Right on YouTube. Just search it out and you'll find it. It, it's wonderful if, if, if remind me and you can't find it I'll, I'll, I'll get it for you it's in there somewhere but they do such a great job all the subtitles and you know the people you can see a, a, almost like afraid see they get all of a sudden what? what? you know oh boy it's the best way of evangelizing is right out of the word though okay so um, uh, these oracles meaning the entire canon of the Old Testament which were required which were recorded prior to Paul's time contain God's special revelation of himself They show his acts of creation. They show the world why it's in the state that it is in. They show his plan of righting every wrong and restoring rightness to a fallen world. All of that is in the words that they have maintained. In the process of accomplishing these things, these oracles show that he chose a select group of people in which to display his very heart, his intolerance at sin, his grace, mercy, and forgiveness his long suffering and on and on and on these also show his wisdom in the selection because no other group of people has been so minutely diligent in the tender care and protection of these oracles even as some generations lost them 2 kings 20, 22 says that 2 kings chapter 22 which very sad i get to this in the bible and i just think what a, what a shame 2 kings 22 it says here, Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. <gasps> it was missing. Then Hilkiah said to, gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, religion without any substance. We've got a house. We do this worship, right? And just like half of the churches around here. Imagine if they found the book of the law. Imagine if they found the Bible in that church. They'd be, oh my goodness, they, they wouldn't believe it. But as I say week after week, if you've got a book of discipline, you don't need a Bible. And the book of discipline can be amended. This can't, right? So they go on, they say, we found this book of the law. Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house. Then Shaphan, the scribe, kind of after everything else, after the money and the important stuff, He showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Verse 11, wow, imagine this, imagine this. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Ahbor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Asaiah, a servant of the king, saying, go inquire of the Lord. They know who the Lord is, just like these churches around here know who God is. They know who Jesus is, but they don't know anything about him because they've lost the word of the Lord. Go inquire of the Lord for me, for all the people, and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us." I'm going to go on because it's so important. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in the in Jerusalem in the second quarter. Now think, maybe this is Trump. Okay, I was thinking about this today. It's funny that I'm doing this because I am thinking of this guy today. Then they spoke with her. Then she said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants 56 60 million babies killed and we expect that we're not going to have calamity dropped on us all the words of this book which the king of judah has read because they have forsaken me sounds like america burn incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with the works of their hands therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched now the king has repented I've heard stories, and I, you know, until I actually talk to him face-to-face, I'm not going to believe him fully, but they say that he accepted the Lord not too long ago. Maybe he did. Mm-hmm. He's making all of the right moves as far as Planned Parenthood and all the things that he said he was going to do, and he's got Christians. The chief of the CIA, which okay, I'll say yeah, in the prophecy yeah, update, amazing. is an avowed Christian, mm-hmm. yeah. an avowed... I can't do anything without Christ. He's, he's appointing the right people, just as this guy did. He goes on. But as for the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner. You shall speak to him, thus says the Lord God, concerning these words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord. Think of what what he's doing in Washington right now. When you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, says the Lord. Therefore, talk about grace. I will gather you to your fathers. He's going to die instead of seeing what he's going to do. To your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I shall bring on this place. So they brought back word to the Lord. And guess what the king did? He didn't care. He went around and he cleaned Israel anyway. Even if I'm doomed, even I'm still going to clean this place out before I go. I'm going to get rid of the trash. I'm going to take out the garbage, and we're going to restore rightness. I mean, it's almost happening before our eyes. I don't want to over overdraw the connection, but everything he has signed so far has been for either the good of America or for the cause of Christ. Charlie, I haven't seen anything that I doesn't. An email. Yes. I
1: can't verify where it came from, but somebody said that Trump already in the White House has gotten rid of all the Muslim results. It's all
0: gone. It's all gone. All Muslim connotation is scrubbed. All climate change is scrubbed. All LGBT is scrubbed. All of it. It is as if we are seeing King Josiah doing what he did. And like I say, I don't want to make too much of the connection yet because we've only had a few days. But everything he has done so far has been glorifying of the Lord. I haven't seen anything yet that I say I don't think I'd agree with it. With one exception, and that's that he went to that interfaith prayer meeting, which was already set up for the president. So he probably had no choice in it. And he's not a he's not a theologian. He is a politician. So I I, I it's the one thing I've seen that he probably doesn't understand yet. But. I, I, I'm very happy about what's going on, and we'll hope that this will happen. Yeah. But it, it, if you look at the connection, destruction is still coming, oh, yeah. right? Destruction the is the still coming is really upon Galvin. Israel, and it's probably coming upon America. What? The left is
1: really galvanizing.
0: They are really. Also the really left is going well, to tear us I'm apart sure. if they can. So I, once again, I don't want to take that too far, but we need to be aware of the world we're living in. So we'll go on. Um, <clears throat> let's see here, um, subordinate, the Messiah himself, um, his acts of... Oh, I did that. Okay, in the process of accomplishing these things, showing his plan, righting every wrong, restoring righteousness, in the process of these things, I read that, um, 2 Kings 2.22, a previous generation had secured them in a place where they could be found. The word of the Lord was kept in a secure place, and when they cleaned out the temple, there it was, right? And this is not only the case within the Bible but outside of the Bible as well. As I said earlier, the Dead Sea Scrolls dating to approximately 250 B.C., before Christ even walked on the planet, those scrolls were already there, were exactingly copied. Why do you think that is? Because they can't go back and say, well, that doctored, that Isaiah 53 is doctored about Jesus. They can't go back and say somebody fudged the text. It predates him, and they have that. They, they can't go back and say it was wrong, okay? Um, but... Another thing about it I'll go there really quickly Just so you can see this Um, Who's got the NIV? Let me have that I don't want to get up Because the thing is going to go But I'm going to read you something That that is in the Dead Sea Scrolls That you're not going to find elsewhere
1: Josiah is this king
0: Yes, King Josiah Good King King, Josiah He
1: had Hilkiah That priest that sort of led him on Because he took office of faith Right So he's in his 20s now Or about So, you know, he listened.
0: It says that he did everything right as long as he had a good counselor. That's right. That's right. Okay, here's what it says here it says, um, I've got to find this. Um, This is Isaiah 53. Yes, okay. Isaiah 53, starting in 10 first. This is the, the passage that all the Jews go over and read to other Jews, and they say, well, who is this talking about? And they say, Jesus, and I'm going to just start in the middle of it. In verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes it... What do I always tell you to read when you're reading the Bible? Read the footnotes. footnotes. Always read the footnotes, okay? Don't read the commentaries because it's usually just Goofy, but the footnotes are things that tell us what text is referring to, what this says, what that says, why they chose this choice of translation. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, Jesus is a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Guess what it says in The um, uh, Masoretic text, which the King James and the New King James Version uses, it doesn't say he'll see the light of life. They dropped that out of the Masoretic text. Those people that count everything didn't like that something pointed to a resurrection, but what does it say here? This is verse 11a. He will see the light of life. Dead Sea Scrolls has that in there, which predates Christ, and it also predates the Masoretic text by 1400-1500 years, right? also see the Septuagint, which agrees with that. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament prior to Christ. The Masoretic text does not have the light of life. That's why it's important to read your footnotes. Go to the 22nd Psalm, the same thing. They've taken out, they pierced my hands and my feet. But it's in the King James Version because they went to the other texts to get that. In the Masoretic text it says, like a lion, my hands and my feet. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't mean anything. So they changed it. They amended the text to hide Jesus. So even a Masoretic text has to be called into question. And that is why we read footnotes. Always read footnotes because there is so much treasure down there telling us about Christ that some people have hidden, but God has confirmed in the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, oh, that's the Greek translation. That's, that's the Gentiles did that. Well, guess who did the Dead Sea Scrolls? It's there. It confirms what you guys have been trying to hide for the past two thousand years. Mm-hmm. Go ahead.
1: My NESB has will see it, but the footnote says
0: The light. That's right. <laughs> see the light. That's exactly right. They they hid that purposely, yeah. and that is why we study to show ourselves approved, and that's why sticking to a single translation is bad news. It's bad news.
1: It's really when they found the Dead Scrolls, they didn't? They didn't
0: it's changed some people. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And the people that don't want to believe aren't going to believe anyway right. because if you right. show them an error in the King James Version, right. they're not going to believe it. They will not accept it, even if you show it. If you show them what the translators to the King James Version say about going to other translations and we don't know what this means, they, they don't even put the, the preface in there anymore because they don't want to know the truth because somebody's making money off of that. It's public domain. They can print it off all day long and pay no royalties at all. It's all profit except the printing costs. And guess what? Postage to get it to your house from that guy is probably twelve dollars. Costs him two dollars to send it to you. It's book rate, right? He's making money hand and foot. Terrible stuff. Anyway, I hate to keep beating that over, but it just it, it eats me away that people are so corrupt. All right, Dead Sea Scrolls dating to 250 BC were exactly copied and stored in an environment where they would last an extremely long time. When they were discovered, they showed that the word had been maintained in an exceedingly careful manner throughout the ages. Any error or intentional manipulation since the time of Christ could now be compared and corrected if necessary, or if none, there would be a validation of the long-copied and carefully protected oracles of God.
1: Is there a book missing?
0: Uh, The the book of Esther is not included in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm -hmm. That just means it may be it. Vaporized, or maybe you know, on the Arabs, because it got out into the it, people had to go and buy it from people that found them. So it may have gotten lost. You know, who knows why? And it is the hidden book. You, the Lord is never mentioned in the book of, uh, right, of Esther, He's but He is mentioned in anagram form. And his fingerprints four times, right. I believe. And his fingerprints are all over it. But in an anagram form, I think it's four times: twice forward and twice back. It could be more than that. But there are some things in the book of Esther which are astonishing. Oh, astonishing! I've got it all documented. If you want, I'll try to remember to email it to you. So if you some tell good me, humor
1: in that book. the what? There's, there's good humor. There's
0: good humor in, book. in the book too, and there's they're there's tripping, tripping him to fall into uh, the queen's bed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. Like, oh, no, no, <laughs> no. Covered his face. That means the end of him. Doctor McGee
1: says that he was just like a coach. Of baseball he's sitting in the dugout giving
0: instructions oh yeah that's right (laughs) giving the instructions but he's there but he's behind the scenes now i've got to go on we've got four or five more minutes and so i got to get going here um when they were uh, discovered the intentional manipulation as you can see even the environment which the jew lived the land granted to them by god is a testimony to being a jew why because the land has the right properties, such as humidity, temperature, isolation, etc., to protect the ancient scrolls. It also became mostly unsuitable for habitation during the exile of the people, thus preserving the archaeological record, which can now substantiate the narratives found in the oracles. Being a Jew and a member of the group who has carefully kept circumcision as a rite for many, many millennia is one of the most astonishing aspects of the wisdom of God and the validation of his word. The two are tied together and they are inseparable. Mm. This leaves an important question to be answered. What about the New Testament? Although this couldn't be answered completely in ten doctoral dissertations, what should be noted is that what occurs in the New Testament times was anticipated in the Old Testament. Further, there are many Old Testament promises, as well as in the New, which are yet to be fulfilled for the Jewish people as they dwell in the land of Israel. This, if no other concept tells us that Israel was set aside not cast away God's plans and purposes for his covenant people will come to pass exactly as prophesied Stand back and watch God's amazing plans unfold quite possibly in your own lifetime and before your very eyes And it is, it's happening every week we see something happening The Bible is becoming more and more validated week after week after week Life application and we're done Just in time The immense wisdom of God is displayed in His Word, in His people, and in His land for the protection and care of His people for the people of the world. It is true that the Jew rejected Christ, but this was known by God before it occurred, and therefore He set aside these people during the dispensation of grace, which is the church age. But this era is ending, and the times of the fulfillment of God's plan in and through the people of Israel is coming. Pray for the people of Israel, support the people of Israel, and stand with the people of Israel. God's hand is upon them, and ours should be as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this precious word, and we thank you that your word, even to the most disobedient group of people that could ever be conceived, meaning us and the Jews, is still stands. Your word stands, your promises stand, your grace stands. You will not take away our salvation. We're sealed with the spirit. It is a guarantee and that is going to stand true. You have promised good things for the people of Israel and you will keep that promise. It is sure and it is true. How good it is to know that you are the covenant keeping God despite our unfaithfulness. Thank you for that. Lord, we do pray for Mabel who's not here. We haven't heard about her uh, biopsy, but we, we would pray that she is okay. And uh, thank you that uh, Sandy is here and looking better and better every single week. It's a real joy. And uh, certainly there are other people that I'm forgetting about right now. But there are needs, there are troubles, there are trials, and there are stresses. And we've got our friends that are driving to Clearwater tonight. I'd ask that you'd be with them and get them up there safely and then back home in due time. And, Lord, all things are good from your hand, even when sometimes they seem contrary to that from our perspective. They are being worked out for a good end. And so we thank you, and we praise you, and we exalt you. Woohoo! We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Did you talk about Mabel? Our Mabel? Yeah, she had a biopsy, and so um, I forgot to mention that on Sunday. But, okay, let me back this up. And give me a second here. And we're stopped. We love you all. Have a wonderful week. Take good care, okay? Bye-bye. Mabel got that done. I don't know. She asked me to pray about it last week, and I did, and then I forgot on Sunday. It just it, it skipped my mind, which I felt terrible about. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll pray that she's okay, and let's see here. One, three, three. <laughs> Oh, I know, I've been there, it's wonderful. The it But, I mean, he was
1: really in his heart. heart.
0: Wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow, wow. wow. You guys it? Oh, yeah. The just was amazing. Wow, we yeah, I love that. You know, the, the spirit is working over there, and slowly but surely, he is—he's uh, calling the people. That-